0: Romans chapter three, verses nine through twenty, is the passage that we'll be studying together this morning. Last week, as we began uh, going through the book of Romans in our first groups, and as I began preaching through the book, uh, we we came across the idea that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. The apostle named Paul wrote this sixteen chapter book, or better yet, a letter. As, uh, as you might want to think about it. And I sum up the contents of this epistle to the Romans as God's good news for our lives. So if you like to take sermon notes and you want a title for this several uh, week sermon series, you can write down Good News for Life. Let's read Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving, the poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now if you heard that the title of this sermon series is Good News for Life, and the only thing you just heard me read is a bunch of bad news for sinners, you're not wrong. And I'm not crazy. Uh, Let me share with you why. Before the gospel of Jesus can be good news for our lives and and can be the power of God to salvation from sin, the gospel message presents us with the bad news that we are all sinners and that we need God's salvation. You can't be saved if you don't need to be saved. And we do need to be saved. This is the main point of the text of the verses that we just read. And it's the issue that I want to emphasize to you this morning. You and I stand as guilty sinners before a holy God. So let me be clear at the outset of examining these Bible verses. I do not intend to step on your toes today while I preach As I preach to you this morning, I intend to take God's word, his living and active word that's sharper than any two-edged sword, and I intend to let God just drive it into your heart. So if you leave this morning going, Ouch, Jake, that hurts. I need to take a step back. I've missed the mark. Rather, at the end of this message, if you come face to face with God and you go, Oh, me, Lord, you're right and I'm not, and you need to take a step forward in following the Lord by confessing your sin and admitting that you are a guilty sinner, then I've done what God wanted me to do. You've heard God's word presented to you. We all need to hear God's good news for our lives. His word is the only objective and timeless truth for human beings. And I challenge you to listen to me this morning only so that you can understand the Bible, God's word, and hear the Holy Spirit convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. My aim is not to make you feel guilty for what you've done. My intention is to share with you that God says we, myself included, are all guilty of what we have done and we are all in need of his grace. So let's start right there where Paul does. In verse 9, he asked his readers two rhetorical questions. What then? Are we better than they? You might be wondering, who are we and who are they? We jumped right in the middle of of reading a case that Paul is making to prove the point that all people stand as guilty sinners before a holy God. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, that Many of you studied in your first group this morning, Paul talked about how they, the Gentiles, or non-Jewish people, are guilty sinners before a holy God. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 29, Paul talked about how we, the Jews, God's covenant people of the Old Testament, are guilty sinners before a holy God. You may wonder why in the world Paul made this designation between we and they, And what it has to do with you. To my knowledge, which is very limited by the way. I'll be the first to tell you that. But to my knowledge, every person in the sanctuary this morning is a Gentile. That is, we are non-Jewish by birth, by ethnicity. So if you are a Jew here this morning, I don't mean to overlook you. I just didn't know that, alright? I'll apologize to you later. Jewish people were the chosen people of God in the Old Testament story. It is the Jews to whom God gave his word. His word was to order their personal lives. It was to dictate the way they carried out their civil government, and it was also a prescription for ceremonial worship. While we may learn a good deal about God from the Old Testament as Gentiles, and while we can apply godly principles to our lives that are found in its pages, And while we can even read the Old Testament as followers of Jesus, a Jewish man who is our Savior, the Old Testament was not written for us as Gentiles. Now to some of you that sounds like absolute heresy, and all you think you heard was, Jake said the Old Testament doesn't matter. That's not what I said. I want you to stop and think about this. If you will read the Old Testament... With God at the center, instead of yourself at the center, it will make all the difference in the world. Do not read the Old Testament with yourself as an American in the 21st century as the object of everything that is found in it. Rather, read the Old Testament as God working about through a chosen nation of people that you and I were not part of because we're Gentiles, so that he could bring about redemption to the whole world through his son i'm telling you it will make all the difference in the world to the way you understand the bible and i would postulate that if you read the old testament in that light it doesn't become less relevant to you it reveals to you more of god's truth for your life even as a gentile it just it does So if you want to literally place yourself in the Bible's account of Romans chapter 3, verse 9, you can. You are they, and so am I. That sounds funny, doesn't it? You are. You're you're they. We're Gentiles. Maybe this will help you out a little bit better. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I ain't one of them, and neither are you but we can still praise the Lord. Any of you grew up singing that song in church, Father Abraham? I didn't do the turnaround part. I don't mean to ruin one of your favorite childhood church songs, but some of you sang that song numerous times growing up without even acknowledging what in the world you were singing. Um, you were never a physical descendant of Abraham, the Hebrew patriarch. I'm not either. We're not Jewish, we're Gentiles. If you've placed your faith in Christ, then you are a spiritual child of Abraham by faith. But there's nothing that you or I can do to make ourselves the genetic offspring of a guy named Abraham. By the way, if you're here this morning and you don't know the song Father Abraham, YouTube it when you go home this afternoon. And then teach it to your kids. There's a dance that goes with it. You'll get really dizzy. It's great, it's fun. Now here's why it's so important that you understand that you are they. Paul was making the point to Jewish Christians in Rome that they were not any better than Gentiles in Rome. The reason was simply this at the end of verse 9. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Isn't that good news for us as Gentiles? That there's not just some special group of people that God likes and wants to save and He doesn't really care about the rest of the world? Jews aren't any better than us. They're sinners just like we are. But guess what else that means? We're not any better than anybody else either. We're sinners just like they are. In our culture, we don't make the Jew-Gentile distinction so much. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but anytime you fill out an application or a form or you've gone to get your driver's license, the people there in the office don't say, are you a Jew or a Gentile? We, just, we don't operate that way, do we? But we still do make distinctions, even in our day and time, but between groups of people. I would say one of the most pervasive distinctions we make is the religious distinction of the good old southern bible belt i'll call these two groups the church people and the not church people and you know exactly what i'm talking about some of you are laughing about it you know exactly what i'm talking about and just in case you don't i'll go through a little bit of this for you Uh, one group of people grew up in church homes with church parents they had church family they uh they hung out with church people they wore church clothes they they did church things the other group of people grew up in not church homes with not church people they did not church things if you're still confused the church people could stand up right now and sing father abraham and the not church people have no idea what i'm talking about still right Here's the sad irony in these distinctions. The church people think that they're better than the not church people because they don't do the not church people sins, right? They don't use the drugs. They don't drink on the weekends. They don't do all of these things that the not church people do. They dress better. They get a better education. They they do these things with their families. They don't do those things with their families. And then it's It's kind of interesting because, on the other hand, the not-church people think that they're better than the church people because they don't have all of that false church hypocrisy going on, right? I mean, they believe the Bible, and they say Jesus was a good guy, and they want to follow him, but, man, we don't want to put up with all those sinners in the church house. Look, I've got news for you this morning. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in a church pew, if you're sitting in your recliner at home, you're a sinner wherever you're sitting. And this is really what Paul is trying to point out to all of those who are reading his letter. I'm glad each and every one of you are here this morning, whether you're a church person or not a church person. However you view yourself, I do want to tell you how God sees you. He doesn't make the same type of silly distinctions that we do. According to the Bible, all people stand as guilty sinners before a holy God. Isn't that good news for our lives? say, Jake, I I still don't know. You need God's grace even if you're a church person because you're a sinner. You can receive God's grace even if you're not a church person because you're a sinner. No person is so good that they need not be saved. No person is so bad that they cannot be saved. God doesn't make the distinctions that we make between groups of people. All people stand as guilty sinners before a holy God. To build the case more substantially, Paul quoted from seven different Old Testament passages to show how we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. In fact, if you look at verses 10 through 18, many of your English translations will have those verses in all caps, or they'll have them in italics, and it's because those are direct quotes from the Old Testament. Paul is using the Old Testament To help Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians see that they have sinned against a holy God. From verses 10 through 18, Paul quoted passages that called out sinners for transgressing God's commands. In fact, eight of the ten Old Testament commandments... In the order that God gave them to Moses in Exodus chapter 20 are, are referred to here. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this before, but it's kind of interesting to me. The only two commandments that Paul doesn't uh, condemn the Gentiles for breaking is the fourth commandment to honor the Sabbath day and the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the promised land. And there's reason for that. The reason for the inclusion of the the Eight Commandments is that they are truths by which all people should live. They are far-reaching cultural mores. The reason for the exclusion of the Fourth and Fifth Commandments is that they were specifically addressed to God's covenant people in the Old Testament, with ties to His setting apart of them as a holy people, a chosen nation. I'm going to ask you to do something with me this morning. If, if you got your Bible and, uh, and you want to follow along with me, stick your thumb on that page in Romans chapter 3 and then go back over to Exodus chapter 20 so that you can see these parallels. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 20 and notice the parallels between the Ten Commandments God gave to Moses there and the sins that people are charged with committing in Romans chapter 3. Exodus chapter 20 look at verse 3 the first command you shall have no other gods before me alright go back to Romans chapter 3 look look at verses 10 and 11 there is none righteous not even one there is none who understands there is none who seeks for God what's the problem says Paul you're not worshipping the one true God Exodus chapter 20, look at the second command, verses 4 and 5 and 6. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." Go back over to Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's nobody who does good. There's not even one. These people have turned aside to worship idols. Look back at Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. The third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Look at verse 13 in Romans chapter 3. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Look at verse 14. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. What did Paul charge these people with? Of of cursing the Lord's name, of taking his name in vain. It has more to do with, with, with just saying the, the GD phrase, right? We, we ought not say that. It's inappropriate and it's sinful. But it's more than that. Taking God's name in vain is invoking God's name on a Sunday morning and then living however you want to the rest of the week. Taking God's name in vain is using the breath that he has placed in your lungs to honor and worship and glorify him and then living your life however you jolly well please. The fourth command in Exodus chapter 20 is listed in uh, verses 8 through 11, and this command to remember the Sabbath day was for the Jewish people, right? In fact, we have uh, the, the ten commandments listed there in Exodus chapter 20, and in Exodus chapter uh, chapter 20, really God is the one who gave these commandments to Moses, and you had four, the first four of the commands inscribed on the first tablet, and then you had Commands 5 through 10, the last six inscribed on the other tablet. So the last command on this first tablet is command number 4. Remember the Sabbath day and, and keep it holy. Did you know that God was doing this for his Jewish people to set them apart from all the other nations of the earth? This was a command not just to rest. We all need to rest. We can learn that principle from this passage for sure. But God was telling his Jewish people... You take this day out of your week, every week, last day of the week. It's the day of rest. It's the day of worship. You don't do any work. You honor me as holy because I am holy. In six days I made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day I rested. So you remember the Sabbath. Gentiles didn't live like that. Then on the other tablet is this fifth command. It it begins this second tablet. And it's simply this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. It's honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives to you. Now certainly, even in Gentile cultures, people were taught to respect their elders and to honor their parents. But the reason that Paul doesn't refer to this command in Romans chapter 3 is because this command was given to the Jewish people and was tied to their inheritance of the promised land, right? So here's what this means. When when Moses told the people, honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving to you, really what he was saying is listen to what they teach you about God. God is giving you, the Jewish people, this promised land. And if you don't honor your father and your mother, your days are not going to be long in this promised land, right? So all cultures supposed to honor parents, but in Exodus chapter 20, this command to honor father and mother is directly tied to the Jewish inheritance of the promised land. All right, but so here we go to command number six. It, it gets real short and brief at this point. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says, You shall not murder. Flip over uh, back to uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 15, where Paul charges people with being swift to shed blood. Their feet are swift to shed blood. What is that? Murder. You kill somebody with hatred in your heart. The seventh command, verse 14 of Exodus chapter 20, you shall not commit adultery. And the eighth command, you shall not steal. Look at the next passage that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 3, verse 16. Destruction and misery are in their paths. Do you know what the Old Testament Proverbs say is the result of committing adultery and stealing? Destruction and misery. Is this not interesting? Look at the ninth command, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then look what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 17. The path of peace they have not known. Somebody who lies to do somebody else harm creates enmity, not peace. And then the 10th commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't cover your neighbor's male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What's the last passage that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 3, verse 18? He says, there is no fear of God before where? Before their eyes. What do you covet with? You covet with your eyes. You see something and you want it. You'll do anything to get it. What Paul is doing in Romans chapter 3 is this. He is demonstrating to Jewish Christians, to Gentile Christians, to anybody that would read his letter, it does not matter if you receive the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament or you've never heard of them before. If you are a person, you have sinned before a holy God. In fact, Paul would even argue throughout Romans chapter 2 and 3 and even back into 1 that even if you didn't have God's laws, you still knew what you were doing was wrong. You say, Jake, how, how could God hold people accountable for that if they had no standard of truth by which to judge themselves? Stop and think about this with me in the Old Testament. Had God said, do not commit murder when Cain took his brother Abel out in the field and hit him over the head with a rock and killed him? No. Did Cain knew what he had done was wrong? You bet. I mean, stop and think about this with me for a moment. Had had God told Adam and Eve, thou shalt not lie and thou shalt not bear false witness and thou shalt not intentionally say something to hurt somebody else, yet were the first two things out of Adam's mouth and Eve's mouth as soon as they ate the fruit from the tree God told them not to eat from, Adam says, well, God, it's not my fault, it's that woman you gave to me, you might not consider that lying, but it's definitely throwing your wife under the bus, right, maybe even there's some intention from Adam's heart of hatred towards his spouse, oh my goodness, what does Eve say in reply? This it, it, is the serpent's fault. She's trying to make an excuse for the sin that she's committed. Do you see how inherently evil we are as people because we have a sin nature? It doesn't matter if you're an Old Testament Jew who had the Ten Commandments or you're a Gentile living thousands of years after the Ten Commandments were given. We are all guilty sinners before a holy God. So what's Paul's conclusion in verses 19 and 20 of Romans chapter 3? It's that the Jews under God's law are guilty. Just like the Gentiles without the Ten Commandments are guilty. God is the perfect, righteous, and just judge of the world, because people have sinned by worshiping other things as God, making idols in their own image, invoking God's name flippantly, committing murder with hatred in their hearts, being unfaithful to their spouse, stealing from others what does not belong to them, lying to hurt somebody else, and with jealous envy desiring what belongs to someone. Because of these reasons, all people stand as guilty sinners before a holy God. Paul says in verse 20, No law can justify an evil human heart. God's law could not justify the Jews back then, and God's law cannot justify church people today. God's law could point Gentiles to their need for forgiveness of sins if they read it. And if they believed it it as true, and God's law can point non-church people today to their need for forgiveness of their sins, but the law of God cannot forgive anybody of sin against him. Rather, what the law can do and what the law does, what God's word does, is that it points out that we have failed, that we have fallen short, that we are guilty sinners before a holy God. This is what the Ten Commandments of the Lord point us to in the Old Testament. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And as strange as it may sound, this is the beginning of the gospel message. This is where people need to start. Why in the world is this good news? Because in order for the gospel of Jesus to be good news for our lives, we have to know how much we need God's grace through Christ to be shown to us. Think about what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the gospel. This is the good news that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. If you and I are not sinners then the gospel of Jesus cannot be and will not be good news for our lives. Do you understand how that works? Let me give you an illustration. This was a, a good old church person, not so much in the southern Bible belt, but in the Midwest. Good old Born, born in the good old state of Indiana. He amounted to a great deal in his life he lived back in the 1800s his mother was faithful to teach him the bible in fact asked him to memorize the 10 commandments and it was kind of one of those askings that you didn't really have an option for so this young man memorized the 10 commandments his mother taught him the importance of living a godly lifestyle and, and honoring the lord throughout his days But it wasn't until later on in life that this young boy, Abraham Lincoln, who had memorized the Ten Commandments, understood that it wasn't just about trying to live by the law to make himself right in God's eyes. It was that he was a guilty sinner because he had broken these same commandments his mother had made him learn and recite and hold dear to his heart. So I want you to think about this with me this morning. If you grew up going to church and you sang songs like Father Abraham or you sang the song and memorized the Ten Commandments or you sang the song and memorized the books of the Bible can you not stop and think back through these things and realize that the same Ten Commandments you you memorized are the same laws of God that you've broken? Can you not step back just for a moment and start to realize that all of the books of the Bible that you memorized in order growing up in children's church and going to Iwana and listen to your mother and your, your, your grandfather teach you, all of those things that you say you hold dear are the same things that you have transgressed. The commands God's given in the Bible, you haven't kept all of those. You're a guilty sinner before a holy God. Here's the other thing. If you didn't grow up in church and you don't know the Ten Commandments and you don't know all the books of the Bible, you didn't know where Romans was this morning. When I asked ask you to turn there. This is the good news for you. Even if you have no idea what all this Bible says, you know that you're a sinner. And the Bible teaches something that's chiefly important at this point. Even though you're a sinner, Jesus Christ, God's son came to this earth to die for your sins. In fact, God loved you so much that he demonstrated his love for you in this way, that while you and I, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel must first be bad news before it can be good news. You and I stand as guilty sinners before a holy God. And when we realize our position then we can begin to beg God for mercy. And when we beg God for mercy, He bestows it benevolently. I mean, He just lavishes it upon us. It's when we refuse to admit that we're sinners that there's a big problem. Because when we refuse to admit that we're sinners, we can't receive salvation. When we refuse to confess our sins, there can be no forgiveness for our sins. But if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. If you're here today, will you recognize yourself as a guilty sinner who stands before a holy God? Ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. just going to talk to you a moment I want to ask you to to reflect in your own heart in your own life about who you are Look, you, you might want to slap all kinds of labels on yourself you're this type of person you're part of that group of people but listen it, it doesn't really matter at this point what kind of label you slap on yourself there's only one group of people that God looks down from heaven and sees and that sinful humanity The Bible says that God so loved the world, not groups of people, not liking these better and those less, but He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in His Son Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. Have you ever genuinely admitted in your heart to God that you are a guilty sinner who needs His grace to be forgiven. If you're here this morning and you have never confessed your sins to the Lord, you've never admitted to Him that you are a bad person who does bad things, would you just tell Him that this morning? If you'll tell Him that, then you can receive forgiveness for the wrong that you've done. Then you can be forgiven forever, then you can have eternal life in heaven. You can have it if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And if you believe that He rose again from the grave. And if you'll call upon Jesus, the Son of God, as the new Lord of your life. If you'll worship Him as as your Creator, as your God, as your Savior have new life and then God won't look down and see you the guilty sinner anymore rather who he'll see is his perfect son Jesus standing in front of you bearing the punishment the weight the burden the penalty for the sins that you have committed all people stand as guilty sinners before a holy God The question is, does God's son Jesus stand in front of you to bear the weight of the sin you've committed? If you're here this morning and you want to tell God that you're a sinner, you want to receive forgiveness for the sins you've committed, would you just pray something like this? God, I know that I have done wrong. In fact, God, you know all the wrong that I've done. God, I'm a sinner. And God, I need to be saved from my sins. God, I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. And God, I want to give my life to you. So that you can give me a new life. God, I surrender myself to Jesus as Lord. Maybe you hear this morning, you're already a Christian. You, you prayed something like that years ago. And you know it wasn't some special prayer that saved you. It was what Jesus has done on the cross that saved you from your sins. Maybe for you this morning, you need to remember that there is nothing special about you that's earned God's grace or His favor. That God just loves you enough. God loves the world enough to show us His love, to save us from our sins. And maybe you need to pray, thanking God for forgiving you of your sins. Thanking God for loving you enough to send His Son to die for you. Just a moment, a song of invitation is going to be played and sung. I invite you as this song is played to respond to God as he's speaking to your heart this morning. If you've asked forgiveness of your sins and given your life to Christ this morning, I'd love for you to come down here in the front and and tell me that you've given your life to Jesus. I'd love just the chance to pray with you for a moment and to help you grow and your newfound faith. Maybe you're here this morning and God's calling you to to join our church or God's been poking and prodding on your heart for some time that even though you're already a Christian, you need to be baptized. Or maybe God is calling you to be a preacher of the gospel just like Paul was to the Romans. And maybe you need to surrender to God's call on your life today. Maybe it's to be a pastor. Maybe it's to be a a missionary, a youth minister. I'd love for you to come down here in the front and and say, Jake, I'm praying through this. Jake, I, I think God's calling me to the gospel ministry. Could you help me pray through this? I'll be standing down here in the front if any of you need to speak with me. The Lord's ears are open as long as you need to talk to him as God calls you this morning would you come?